Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Let's celebrate the process of moving through dimensions. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. Moving through dimensions. Come through some dimensions with us today. We are going to explore death in a different way than we've explored it before. We have done an episode before on dying and grief and loss and letting go. Um, so we're not so much talking today about that end of losing somebody or even when things in your life come to a natural end. Today we're talking more about a spiritual look at what exiting this planet is how we as Westerners do it, how we could do it better, how spiritual people do it, and definitely a look at euthanasia, which we can't do this topic without addressing. Here in Australia, euthanasia is illegal, completely illegal. Same as gay marriage. We're a little bit 1950s down here. It's Beck and I are so not old-fashioned. However, our government is... We have a very conservative government in Australia. We've had poor old Philip Nitschke, who for so many years has been trying to point out the human rights, you know, advocacy of the importance of euthanasia, in other words, sort of assisted dying or death with dignity. And he got labelled, you know, Dr Death Dr. by death. the media yeah. and all this kind of ridiculous stuff. I partied with him one night. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Part- Back in the 80s. I know, in a really hot spa. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, it was the most amazing place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting that to come into my <laughs> intro, but thanks for coming, Jane. All right. So, um, Yes, and we are actually going to talk about parties today because we're going to talk about death parties, which are a new thing as well, which people are doing. We're going to look at this from so many different angles, and I know that you'll all find it really, really interesting. Um, a listener actually sent us quite a chunky question, which I'm going to read out this whole paragraph um, just to kick off some juicy themes. So she said, I've been listening to Andrew Denton's interesting podcast, Better Off Dead brackets, capitals, highly recommended, (laughs) Um, which examines the issue of assisted dying for the terminally terminally ill or uh, terminal ill and suffering. I've been thinking about this issue a lot ever since I watched the recently released movie Me Before You, where, spoiler alert, a young disabled man decides to end his life after tragically becoming a quadriplegic due to an accident not of his own fault and living in extreme pain. I was surprised just how affected I was by this storyline. I've been an advocate of euthanasia since seeing my grandfather suffer through five years in the fetal position, his mind lost Alzheimer's, which he actually had for 30 years, with nothing the doctors or my family could do but wait for him to succumb to the disease eventually. Having listened to the podcast on suicide and understanding that leaving early is cutting your soul contract short, I'm interested to know what the spiritual ramifications would be and where you two ladies stand on this issue. It's a great, great email, isn't it? It's Deep and juicy. Mm. She actually is raising about seven different things in there that I want to talk about, but let's just jump into it. Where do we start? All right, well, why don't we just start with what do we believe? Well, what I believe is that when we die, I truly, deeply, deeply believe that our soul literally just steps out of the body and into a different dimension. And that it's like literally going from one room to another, You're going from your bedroom to the bathroom. It's another room. Um, the soul cannot be destroyed. It doesn't die. It just changes energy states. Yes. So the first thing would be that it's easier to have these conversations when you've got that strong belief. I think it's very difficult for people if they don't actually genuinely have that as a deep truth. So if you struggle with that, then do some work around. Maybe I always found Sylvia Brown 
her books really helped me to come to terms with a greater understanding of death. And can I say at that juncture, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross from many decades ago was one of the pioneers in working with near-death experience and people who died and came back and all of that. She did so much research. But any of these psychics that do a lot with working with the other side or people sharing their experiences about, it's actually very comforting and reassuring. It is. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? For this to be a peaceful, um, to, to not have the drama around death that we have. We have so much trauma and drama. And I'm not dismissing that. But wouldn't it be great if we can have an easier take on it? Now, I also highly recommend a DVD that you can buy from an Adelaide woman called Lorraine Webb. Now, she has a business called the Adelaide Healing Energy Centre. They've got a website. You can order her products and have them shipped anywhere in the world. She produced a DVD called Living and Dying Consciously. And one of the courses I did uh, with Lorraine was it was mandatory viewing However, I think it should be mandatory for everyone. The short story is that her sister uh, was dying um, of an illness, so it was a long-term exit, and she filmed her, I think it was like the last 24 hours. It's quite a few years since I've watched this DVD. However, she filmed her, they, the, her last day, she knew that she was very close, so they booked a room at the at the Hilton Hotel and they had the red wine and the chockies and all of the fun things. And as they filmed her, she was coming in and out of consciousness. Now, what was fascinating in this move, in this documentary, and I'm sorry to just shorten it to such a small part, but this was powerful for me, was to witness the dying person when they became unconscious. That is when our traditional um, Western or Western medical team, the nurses and doctors, etc., will say, oh, the patient's having a bad day because they're not responsive. But what this movie clearly proved was that when she came to consciousness, they asked the question, where have you been? Now, these two sisters have a third sister who had died, had crossed over quite a while ago. And I can't remember their names, but let's just say it's Sue and Anne. So Sue, as the at that point, unconscious, becomes conscious and said, no, I'm with Anne. I've been with Anne. And Anne's doing this and and she starts telling the stories of what's going on on the other side. Then she would lose consciousness again. Then she would come to and she would be telling of other people that she'd been with that had crossed over. It was very, very interesting to see how peaceful and calm she was when she was crossing over and communicating with the other side. So this movie was really, really important in helping me to understand a lot more about the exiting process for people that have long-term illnesses. Mm. You know, it's... Oh, God, I have so much to say on this topic. I can't even even begin. Um, All right, so I think that it's really fascinating in our society how we have a number of people in society get so obsessed in the need to control entries and exits. So we've got a lot of people rallying against abortion and pro-choice and anti-circumcision and anti-cesarean and anti-life. There's just so much charge on how to birth, quote-unquote, properly. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's just as much controversy on how to exit properly. Yes, there? yes. Entries and exits are really contentious points 
for some reason. And, I mean, if we look at certainly the last 100 years, a lot of uh, entries and exits have been done in such unconscious ways through hospital systems where the power of the, the birthing mother or the coming through baby or the dying elderly person is completely taken away by a person in a white coat. And the spiritual way, of course, we've, I've ranted ad nauseum about spiritual birthing, but spiritual dying is just as interesting because both the entry and the exit, when done from a spiritual point of view, are done with so much conscious awareness and sort of self-permission and just personal choice. They're incredibly empowering spiritual things to do when left alone, when, when the process is not interfered with. I've often said that one of the most powerful, powerful experiences I've ever felt in this lifetime was actually birthing at home on the floor in my hand, with my hands and knees. I just felt more in my power than, than I ever have felt. Now, there's very few women who can sadly say that, but I feel very lucky to have had that experience. And I haven't died yet, at least in this incarnation, but I have absolutely no doubt because I've heard from other spiritual sources that when death is done right, meaning highly empowered spiritual consciously and chosen it's just as orgasmic as birth can be wow and it actually feels like a blissful high charged chemical emotional sensation of orgasming back out i love it and makes perfect sense to me it yeah and so this is where we get these fascinating traditions like i watched this documentary on um tibetan yogis a while ago and they talk a lot about um, immortality and breatharians and using breathing the prana, the life force, in in a certain way into the body that some of these people supposedly can live for 300, 500 years, maybe even longer, we don't know. And that when a yogi chooses to die, because they choose, they, they can stay for around for as long as they like. But if they feel like they're done, and there's video footage of this, and I watched a bit of it, they'll call together a party all the other monks and, you know, all the special people will come and gather around and the yogi will sit there in the middle and he sort of would open his eye and look at every single person in turn with an acknowledgement and a blessing and an exchange of energy. And then when all of that had been done and he'd said his final address, he would close his eyes and breathe and then pass. Oh, I've just got goosebumps all over me. I love it. And I know that there are people who are lucky enough to be able to say, yes, my mother or father died that way. We all came and said the whole family was there and they died with us there. Or, you know, it's really interesting. I remember my grandfather who was, he was ready to die for so long. And we were trying to get over to America, my mother and I, to, to see him. And it took a long time. Like, you know, trips to America, first it took, he was, you know, dwindling in health for maybe two years, really, really, really badly. And there was Alzheimer's involved and lots of, you know, bed care and all sorts of stuff involved. And finally, my mother got the money and we managed to get over to America. And when she got there, she went into his room and she said, we're all here now, daddy, me and my two sisters and the whole family, we're all here now. That night he died because he needed to know that the, yes. the party was we present. We hear there's two ways, isn't there? Because you hear a lot of nurses, they've got nurses have fascinating stories around exit points at de well, death. Um, and uh, you hear of those that will hang on until the family get there. Yes. But then you hear of those who somebody's been by the side of their bed for three days and they, they say, please go and get a cup of coffee. Go and get yourself a, a cup of coffee. I'll be fine. And they go in that moment. It's also the stories that fascinate me are of the souls or the people who 
won't leave their body, won't exit until permission has been given from the family. And I remember that with my beautiful Nana who was uh, died of cancer and, and, you know, that can be a very painful death. And, uh, and I remember my mother and my auntie and uncle saying, it's okay, it's okay to go now. And I think that's part of this ritual that of connection and permission and that everything's okay mm. that we need to, to do. But you talk about this celebration of where the yogis, you know, they mm. the eye contact and they each have a message, a connection, a mm. final mm. moment. Frankie, I have to talk about one of my favourite little Netflix shows, Frankie and Grace. <laughs> I love it. Frankie and Grace, two ladies in their 70s. Actually, it's played by Jane Fonda. If you want to know who my role model is, <laughs> it's not Jane Fonda. It's the other one, Frankie. Frankie's the hippie that makes the organic lube that a big company wants to buy and she paints the artwork for it, which is gorgeous love heart vaginas. <laughs> it's the most beautiful show. But recently they, episode, uh, they aired an episode where one of their dear friends who had cancer was throwing an exit party. And she, these women were spiritual and it was so beautiful. Um, and I realised that this is becoming more and more common. Um, and I love the idea of it because we, we almost got to a point, well, I know with my history of, of elderly family members passing away, that you would see them and you wouldn't acknowledge how sick they were. You, it was all a pretend game of, no, everything's going to be fine. When everything isn't going to be fine in the way that you're thinking it's going to be that's fine. Right, that's right. And so we don't talk about death. And that's what I love about these celebrations of these parties is that because I, I hear they're happening, well, I don't know if they're happening a lot, but I think it's growing in trend. Yeah. And that excites me because even if you have a party and you manage to live another six months or 12 months or whatever, everybody has had that moment and they've had that closure. And that's the gift. You know, I think that the traumatic death is the sudden one where, Look, if I go on the other end of the scale, a beautiful friend of mine whose husband was tragically killed in a, a road bike accident on Christmas Day um, and they'd had a fight, you know, that's, that's tough. So grabbing these moments of, of divine connection where you get to say everything, you get to feel everything, you get the two-way energy exchange that the yogis are doing, mm. doesn't get any better than that if you ask me. Yeah, there was an article that came up just in the last three days which beautifully coincided with our recording of this show, um, which was that there's a New York-based artist named Betsy Davis who was diagnosed with ALS and that's where, you know, like you slowly lose the ability to eat and to speak and eventually even to breathe. That so was it's the a, uh, bucket challenge was raising awareness for, um, the for this disease. degeneration. Yes, the bucket yeah. where they had the bucket of ice, ice, ice water and you, you challenge. challenged each other and then donated money to... Um, yeah. to this um, disease. So her sister said, over the last year I watched her increasingly struggle to eat and speak and do the simple things the rest of us take for granted, like scratch an itch or brush a stray hair from her eyes. No longer able to walk, she spent most of the day in bed. But you see, um, rather than letting this beat her, Betsy decided that she was going to hold a party. Um, and so she, and I'll keep quoting because it's really powerful, she wrote an email to 30 people she wanted to invite to this party in California in a beautiful valley sort of setting. So she wrote, you are all very brave for sending me off on my journey. Thank you so much for traveling the physical and emotional distance for me. These circumstances are unlike any party you have attended before, requiring emotional stamina, centeredness, 
and openness. Now, her only rule at this party was that no one was allowed to cry, which is a really tall order. Wow, that's yeah, tough. In front of her. She, they, oh, were okay. allowed, they weren't allowed okay. to cry in front of her. I was like, as an empath, that's so not happening. Yeah. I can't go. Um, but for two days, there was basically feasting and merrymaking. So they would eating, they are drinking, they took photos, they put sticky notes on all of her possessions explaining their significance, and guests were encouraged to take, like, Betsy souvenirs to remember her by. Oh, and, lovely. Yeah. And then um, at 6.30pm on a Sunday night... Um, three of her caregivers helped her change into a beautiful kimono that she'd bought in Japan. And then a family friend drove her in his new car up the hill um, next to the house where they'd placed a white canopy and a makeshift bed and she wanted to fall asleep as the sun was setting. So I've got goosebumps again. And I could cry. And, but this is, and this is um, what her sister wrote. She said, my sister, meaning Betsy, is an example of exactly what the law intended to do. And this is the euthanasia law I imagine she's talking about. To allow a dying young woman the ability to assert control over the chaos and uncertainty of terminal illness. She turned death into a reason to celebrate and she was there to enjoy the party. And how often do we hear that thing of, oh my God, all those lovely, lovely, lovely things that were said at that person's funeral. If only they'd said them to her when she was alive. Yes, that's right. Exactly. You know, all the time. We don't say, I, I, you know, I often think about this and people say stuff like, well, what do you want written on your tombstone? Or what do you imagine people would say about you at your own funeral? Well, I've got to say, actually, with the funerals thing, you know, people always say, I wish they were here to see all of this. They are. Well, they are. Oh, I've been to so many funerals <laughs> yeah. where I've seen them there. Absolutely. They're totally there. Yeah. So if we get back to the, um, the original email of today. So there's a couple of things I want to comment on. So one is that she talks about the disabled man who'd become a quadriplegic in terminal pain and he decided to end his own life. Now, that's a really interesting one and I think that I would refer that back over to our suicide um, episode that we did somewhere we talked about. Yes, yes, we did a lot. I do view that as a suicide, yes. Um, Then we... You know, the, the, the writer of the email goes on to talk about how her grandfather lost his mind to Alzheimer's for a long time and, and so forth. Now, I want to say something about Alzheimer's and dementia because I've got a personal theory and I believe that, and I've seen this many times, sometimes when a soul has a lifetime that is just full of mud and it's been really heavy and for whatever reason they have not been able to have the tools or the strength or the whatever to kind of overcome it or do something with it or kind of get the soul lessons out of it or move through it or if they just keep getting more and more and more bogged down they get lost as a soul and they can't see the wood for the trees but their body's not ready to die yet because they're still physically perfectly healthy how does one escape well the mind exits And that is why you have people like my dear girlfriend's mum, who was only in her early 60s and a very attractive, slim, brunette, healthy, lovely lady who'd had a sad and a hard life. She got Alzheimer's at that age. You know, it it was so, she was so young. I heard a report on the radio a couple of days ago that people are are getting it in their 30s and 40s now. Exactly. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she started to get it in her late 50s on that, on that note. And the, the, the uh, medical system doesn't know what to do with her because they're used to people being in their 70s or 80s or 90s with Alzheimer's in nursing homes. So they had nowhere to put her. They put her in a nursing home. And then she declined so rapidly that I'm going to her funeral. Well, there's your law of vibration. Yes. Oh, yes. are you? Her funeral's like this week. Oh. And so, but I look at this and I look at people who, who like I'm saying, their body is not, can't die. It can't die. It's got no reason to die. It's too healthy. But their mind is saying, 
I can't do this anymore. And they basically shut it down. And what Alzheimer's is, and people who cared for Alzheimer's people and those sort of things, what they'll often talk about is the reverting back to childhood. They become very childlike. They go back to being a baby again. They have to be cared for, bottom wiped, picked and ca- picked up and carried and fed and tended to. And sometimes they'll remember things from childhood. Like they'll, they'll start talking the way they used to talk or have childhood memories and all that interesting kind of return to innocence comes back as as the mind escapes the trappings of the physical reality and goes somewhere else, which ties so beautifully into what you said about Lorraine Webb's documentary. Everyone's like, oh, she's passing in and out. This can't be good. Well, maybe she's going to escaping into places of her own freedom and lightness and bliss and well-being. Mm. I have a beautiful friend whose father um, has dementia and uh, when he was originally diagnosed, he said he he wanted to explore euthanasia. Mm. And she, of course, this has been such a hard thing because he's asking her to assist. And originally she fought it, but then she realised as she watched her father decline that, no, she couldn't fight it. So she started doing all the research on, <clears throat> excuse me, on online. Then she got paranoid because now they can track everything. She's, she can be charged for murder, et cetera, et cetera. It, it becomes a very big drama. She went with her dad to see Dr Death and was given advice on how to go about it. I have had so many conversations with her around this and I kept saying to her, why are you doing all of this work? Your dad's still okay. Why is he not researching it? And I didn't see her father stepping up at all to say, he wanted to end his life. He was saying it in words, but there were no actions to support this whatsoever. And this had been going on for a couple of years. So I asked permission if I could go into his energy. So as an empath, went into his energy and see what was really going on. But I said, I only want to do this if you really want to know. Like, I don't know what's going to come out, but basically I was suspecting that it wasn't what she thought. So I went in there. The first thing that happened, I started vomiting. Now, I've only had that happen twice as an empath. I've felt sick before many times, but not actually physically vomiting. But I held in there and it was very, very clear. He doesn't want to die. He really wants to continue to live. What his fear is, is that he doesn't want to be a burden for the family. So what he was wanting was for all of the ducks to be in alignment that at the point that the family felt he was a burden, that he had given them permission for them to kill him. Now, that's a toughie on so many levels. It's tough emotionally. It's tough legally. It's tough spiritually. But the most important thing at that point was that she realised that he really did not want to die. He still had living to live. Mm. And that's what we have to be so careful about with euthanasia. I'm a big believer at this point, I may change my mind in the future, however, at this point, I am a big fan of euthanasia needs to be 100% done by the person who is choosing to exit. I'm really glad you made that point clear. Yeah, because no one can choose that for you. you. But this is, but they can manipulate. Correct. This is what's happened in, in my beautiful friend's story. And that's what's happening. Uh, and, guess... and it's such a good reasoning yeah. that he doesn't want to be a burden. He has been the alpha male of this family. He's been an amazing provider, husband, 
father, grandfather for seven decades. And he wants to end on that way. And that's okay. But he's not stepping up and doing it. Mm. So what I see out of that is that as a society, could we explore better communication, better acceptance of what is a burden? What about lovingly caring for the person that returns to childhood that, as Beck said, needs their bottoms wiped, picked up, carried, fed, whatever? How can we not celebrate this? I know it's a lot of work. I know I've not been there. I get that it would be really traumatic and very, very hard. But I'm saying there's something there for all of us to learn that we've not explored yet. Mm, Beautiful. Let's celebrate the process of moving through dimensions. Thank you for staying with us on this very heavy topic today. Um, We have a 200th episode coming up. If you've been living under a rock, you won't know that we're going to be in the Gold Coast for that episode and that every one of you is welcome to fly up there and join us. Um, Early bird tickets are still on sale to September the 10th and you can buy your tickets from the Gold Coast Arts Centre. If you just pop that into Google, you will find us. We really, really hope to have you there because Jane and I are going to go into a lot of depth in that show, talking about some things which you will never hear um, on the podcast show. And while we're recording the show, you will only get 30 minutes of the show um, as an episode and the other juicy two hours, you're going to have to be there to listen to in person. It's the only way you're going to know about it. So, We really encourage you to do that. In the meantime, please keep sharing our show with your friends, with your colleagues, with your family, with your lovers, with anyone that you think needs to know about our show. That's one of the best ways that you can help us. If you want to help us financially, you can always put a donation on our website, lovelifeshow.com. And every single episode of all the previous 189 episodes that we've ever done are in an archive on lovelifeshow.com. So you can go there to get whatever you need. And if you want to ask us a question, maybe just go over to Love Life. Yes, absolutely. Which is sorry. Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash love life show. Yes. We've also got the most beautiful private group uh, on Facebook that is growing every single day in numbers. The conversations are so inspiring, so comforting. That it's such a beautiful community of support. Yeah. And it's so private. I love it. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a part of that, all you need to do is just um, shoot us through a request and we can add you into that group. So the easiest way to do that is to go to the Facebook page. Again, facebook.com forward slash love life show. And until this time next week, as always, spend some time in quiet reflection For yourself, just having a think about what feels right and empowering for you when it comes to your soul and your choices. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening. And it's a beautiful day.